0: This is the Family Culture Project, Episode 53, Connecting When Distance and Cultures Separate Us, with guest Rachel Pye Jones.
1: We're Carl and Kimberly Amici, and we're here to help you live a life of purpose with the ones you love
0: and become the family you were meant to be.
1: It's easy to be in relationship with people that are near to us, those that live in our home or in our neighborhood. But what if the ones we love live further away than we'd like? How do we keep them close? So this week's conversation was an interesting one. Our guest lives in Djibouti, Africa. I had to look that up because I had never heard of that before. She shares her story about how she got there and why she stayed there so many years. Now, I love the idea of living abroad with my family, and we've discussed it a few times, the possibilities of it, the adventures we can have. But to be honest, it is hard for me to imagine what it would be like to live so far away from our family. But I really enjoyed hearing her personal experience about how she navigated life that way.
0: Yeah, I really think it would be difficult in many ways to stay connected to the ones that you want to be connected to, because distance quite often is a hindrance. So I'm I'm very interested in um, learning more about that as well. Mm -hmm.
1: You know, and what our conversation did for me was not only did it help me to hear somebody else's story, to empathize with them, to get a different perspective and to learn how other people live, but it really helped me realize that I have taken for granted the people that live close to me so for example both our children's grandparents our parents live somewhat close not close enough to just stop by unannounced, but close enough that we can go there spend the day with them and come home and i think what ha- has happened over the years is because of technology Because of familiarity and even just relative proximity, we have taken for granted those relationships and we haven't been as intentional about them as we could have been. You know, growing up, my grandparents lived far away. They lived in Pennsylvania. And every Sunday, we would call them and make sure that we talked to them. We waited for Sundays because long distance was... That's when it was cheapest to call long distance. And I think once you have eliminated those boundaries we have almost eliminated our intention. Like we no longer have to fit within those boundaries. So we just rely on text. We rely on them seeing what we're doing on Facebook. We rely on other ways to stay connected. And I don't think it's as meaningful and as purposeful.
0: Yeah, so definitely I see I see this happening as you know, at home and then in the home situation, but you also see this in the workplace. So now nowadays and, and much more today than it was, say, twenty years ago, you're, you're working with teams that are onshore and offshore. In my particular situation, I have half of my team that's located in Mumbai, India and another half that's located in New York City. and it, and the challenge is how do I have that team truly believe they're one team, you know of, of equal measure and, and and of course, it takes effort and it takes it takes um, intentionality. Of course we have the ability to do video now that we didn't have a long time ago, and that really does help. But there's a lot of things that you can do with the team. One thing that I do with the team is make sure that um, the team meeting is led by everyone on the team, including the Mumbai team. So they actually have to figure out what the agenda is, get people to present, either presents from something in in Mumbai or from New York. But there's this kind of activity with the team. Um, And also the way I set up the team and then the support of the team makes the, the team truly to be one unit to get the job done. And I, I will tell you this, that intentionality pays off because I would say that I have a very highly effective team in total and, and with high satisfaction in Mumbai where I know other teams that are completely unsatisfied because, and it's because mostly because they they feel as a secondary part of the team, not a main part of the team.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: it's a, it is a game changer.
1: There's a number of ways that you can stay connected with your loved ones, with family members, and even with team members. So nowadays, we do find that many family members are separated by distance, and so we really can't rely on proximity anymore to keep us connected. And honestly, even though our family's close, we can't rely on it either. So a few things that we've discovered worked when it comes to keeping people connected is scheduling time together on purpose. This can be a consistent check-in or a family meeting. And then also in times of busyness, look for opportunities to connect that you didn't anticipate. So it's a combination of being ready for the spontaneous connection, but also setting times on purpose that you'll connect with one another.
0: And and we talk about scheduling what's important in our lives. And this is just one of those.
1: Yeah. And you can do, you know, a good old fashioned phone call is always something that works. You can utilize technology and keep in touch with Apps like Voxer and Marco Polo, those are just ways to talk with one another. And you can utilize those on a consistent basis because you both don't have to be available to use them, but it still can continue and foster connection and conversation between people. And also... um, reoccurring events or traditions that you share with one another is an excellent way to stay connected with family members. Rachel, our guest this week, it talks about an annual family Olympics that they do with their family. And I think it is one of the most creative ways that they stay connected.
0: Yeah, ab- absolutely. One other thing that she she talks about is, um, and I love this one, which is reminiscing over and revisiting experiences that you've had together because you're triggering these memories to come back of like, yeah, we are connected, we have fun together, this is enjoyable.
1: So, the great thing about this interview and what you I want you guys to listen to is um, just hearing and appreciating her story. You know, I think that one of the biggest reasons why stories matter is that they create knowledge and they create empathy and even though her situation and the life that she has looks nothing like mine the principles that she uses to create family and to create connection and to build culture are absolutely the principles that I can use to create and build culture in my own family. Hey there did you know every family is known for something what do you want your family to be known for?
0: Download our free Family Culture Discussion Sheet. In just 30 minutes, you'll explore who you are as a family and discover who you want to become together.
1: Go to www.thefamilycultureproject.com and start living a life of purpose with the ones you love today. Be sure to type in the, T-H-E, familycultureproject.com for the free download. Today, I'm talking with Rachel Pye-Jones, Rachel writes about life at the crossroads of faith and culture. Her work is influenced by living as a foreigner in the Horn of Africa, raising three third-culture kids, and adventurous exploration of the natural world. She has been published in the New York Times, Runner's World, The Big Table, and more. Her next book will be released in October 2019. All right, so welcome, Rachel. It's wonderful to have you on the show. Great to be here, thanks. I'd love for you to start off and tell us a little bit about your story, um, especially like where you live and how you got there.
2: Sure, so I am originally from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and I lived my entire life in the same suburb outside Minneapolis, and um, now I live in Djibouti, which is in the Horn of Africa, and my family's been here for 16 years, and so that's been a huge shift from Minneapolis wow. to East Africa. Yeah. And um, the the way we got here was a little bit by accident to Djibouti. Um, my husband and I got married and we were students still at the University of Minnesota. And we didn't have any money because we were students. And so we moved into a low-income housing project that was near campus. Mm-hmm. And at that time, it was filled with a lot of refugees who had come out of the Horn of Africa because of the war in Somalia. So most of our neighbors were Ethiopian and Somali and um, my husband wanted to be a teacher and we were looking for some place to go in the world where teachers were needed and um, through personal connections and friends that we made with our Somali community there, we were invited or he was invited to come and teach at a university in Northern Somalia, which is a kind of breakaway republic from Somalia. It's called Somaliland. Technically, it's the same country, but they're pretty separate in that the North is very peaceful. And we didn't know that at the time. We had no <laughs> idea that we, you know, our idea was the same as everyone else's about Somalia that it was war and um, dangerous. And so when we heard that this was peaceful, that there was a, the only functioning university was in the North, and they were really developing their programs and very interested in English speaking teachers, and then invited him to come work there. So we thought, this is what we're looking for. Um, and so we came with, we, at that time, we had two-year-old twins and uh, moved to Somalia in 2003. Wow. That part was on purpose. That move was intentional. And uh, we, we had planned to stay maybe two years, maybe three. We weren't sure. But after just 10 months, there was a number of um, Westerners who were murdered in our region. So violence ended up coming. Unexpectedly, and um all of the foreigners and the expatriate workers, doctors, teachers, NGO workers, they all left and so our family, we had about thirty minutes to pack a bag and we grabbed the twins and we just ran to the airport. Mm-hmm. And, um, from there, we moved to Kenya for a little while to get sort of get our heads back on right and figure out what to do next and uh, again, through personal connections and friends that we had made in Somaliland, my husband was again invited to come here to Djibouti to teach and Djibouti is just across the border from Somaliland and so it was kind of a similar situation but a more stable country mm-hmm. and we weren't ready to go back to the U.S. yet and so at 2004 we ended up in Djibouti and now we're still here 15 years wow. later. Wow, that's incredible um so what
1: is it like to transport your family like how has your family stayed connected and grounded and and, you know to what your to the way you were raised to to how you grew up and to to everything that you experienced when you were young
2: yeah um it's been really important for our family now we have three kids so we added a third to the twins Mm -hmm. and um because we are separated from our extended family it's been really important to us to maintain a strong immediate family bond. And so um, we have traditions like game nights and um, family meals that we have, you know, on a consistent basis together. And then we just say things like, this is how the Jones do it. And uh, we're the Djibouti Joneses. And so when we get together with our extended family cousins and other people, we're always the Djibouti Joneses. Mm -hmm. uh, We actually, our, our kids started um, several years ago. Now they are 18, the twins and a 13-year-old. Um, mm-hmm. They actually started going to boarding school because the, the educational options here were pretty limited. And, um, and they decided, well, we all decided as a family that we weren't ready to leave Africa. They didn't want to go back to it. This school seemed like a good option. But because of that, we've had to be even more intentional to mm-hmm. keep our family connected. And so kids are there. It's um, about 10 weeks there and then a month home. Mm -hmm. And And how far away are they from you? It's actually in Kenya. Okay. Um, Well, now the the twins are at university, so that's a 30-hour flight back to the United States. Oh, yeah. But while they're at boarding school. And so, you know, when they would come home for that month, we just really would do everything we could to focus on family. So... Um, You know, every single meal was together and every weekend activity was together. Uh, And so those moments became really precious because we all recognize like this is limited. So for everybody, it became even, you know, as when they were in their teen years, the family really took priority. And so that was something that became sort of an unexpected blessing. Mm -hmm. It was really hard for me as mom to have them go to boarding school. They were thriving there. And then they would come home and we would just have these beautiful family times together. Yeah. So yeah, being intentional has been important.
1: Yeah. Especially when you have so little time. When my husband and I were dating, we were long distance. And I felt like the weekends that we spent together was so much more rich and purposeful and intentional because there wasn't an opportunity for us to sort of like date around just watching TV together. Like we would never yeah. do that. Like I would have to fly to come see him. And so we had a schedule, like what we were going to do next. And like, even the times we spent talking, we weren't talking about nothing. We were talking about like our values and the future and, and our past and how we grew Like it, it, everything was just peppered with that intention because of the, the shortness of time you have. And I mm-hmm. think, you know, as our kids get older and, you know, they just start to spend more and more time outside the house, whether it's with friends or school, it's like a, it happens slowly. So I think sometimes we forget to be intentional. But with your kids going away, it became clear real quick that you needed to like make that time important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, you you mentioned game night, you mentioned dinners. Is there anything else, like what else is specific to your family's culture and what have you guys become known for among your friends, among the people that you live with?
2: Something that people ask us about often and has become a a thing is that we have a wrestling tradition. My husband is a wrestler from high school and okay. just very physical. So our whole family is really physical. Um, mm-hmm. And so every Christmas, instead of ever since the twins were infants, so when they were just laying on the ground up until this last year, uh, instead of um, doing sort of a traditional Christmas thing of reading a nativity story, maybe singing some Christmas carols, and then jumping into presents or something, mm-hmm. um, we would read the nativity story and then have a all out, massive Jones family wrestling competition. (laughs) Several years would end in someone in tears, whether because they were disappointed for losing or they got hurt. Um, But we have a wrestling belt that my husband and I actually got as a wedding gift from Mm -hmm. a joke from one of his wrestling buddies. It's like a foam was from target. We registered for it as a joke and then his friend gave it to us. Um, So it's a WWF wrestling belts and whoever would win the wrestling match would get to hold the belt for the year and so of course every year my husband would win even all four of us would gang up on him and he would just crush us but mm-hmm. this year we have an 18 year old young man oh my and, my, <laughs> and my husband's getting older and so actually the four of us just crushed him this year and so That's been definitely a tradition that we have brought whatever country we're in, we bring the belt, it goes in the luggage Mm -hmm. and and we'll do the match. Some years we've even, one year we actually had to do it in Disney World because we were there with a family reunion. Yeah. We did it. We had the belt and we did the match.
1: Oh, I love that. That's so important. No matter where you are to bring that culture or what it is that you do that makes you you with you. Yeah, exactly. I love that. So you mentioned staying connected with extended family that's back home. So what are some of the creative ideas you've used to stay connected with, you know, with them, with your kids when they're away? Um, what, is it, what is it that you, you do and what, what can you recommend to others?
2: Um, I really have to credit this to my dad. He is so creative and so uh, has such a high value of keeping family connected. And so somehow, I want to say maybe 10 or 12 years ago, he started something called the Pi Family Olympics. <laughs> and um, he just initially it started with one project. He and my mom had taken a mile walk, and then they kept a list of everything they saw on the walk. And so all the rest of my siblings, there's four of us who have kids. Um, we had to take a mile walk and then write down what we saw. And so for our family, that was super unique. The things that we would see here compared to in Minnesota. Mm-hmm. And and two of my siblings are on either coast of the United States, so we're pretty divided. Um, but it, it went off so well that everybody really enjoyed it and connected that he continued it so about twice a year he'll send out you know a mass whatsapp message or email and say here's the new family olympics event and um it could be anything from how far can you spit watermelon seeds to uh, how long can you balance a spoon on your nose and take some videos and then we'll all send in our results and then you know he'll have he'll rank it and do all these different things so That's just been a really fun way to stay even physically connected with Uh my siblings and the kids' cousins. And then we can talk about it when we get together. And um, it's kind of a way of building memories that aren't necessarily in the same physical space, but we've shared these same activities. Yeah. That's been really fun. That is
1: fun. Yeah. So what helped when your kids were away, staying connected with them? Like in the times that they were away, you talked about when they came home, but what happened when they went away?
2: We would end up going down, usually myself, because my husband would be teaching at the school. Um, so I would go down to their school every six weeks and spend a long weekend with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but even in that six weeks, that's a long time to be away from kids still. And so we have regular phone calls and I would, um, I write them letters. So I'll send them a pack of letters, are they're, they're all dated. And I write on the back of photographs of our family or the time they had when they were home.
0: Mm-hmm. and
2: um, and i'll put like verses or prayers or quotes from or poems that i really love or just you know writing mom thoughts and so they'll open those up on the regular you know on the date that's marked on that and they've really appreciated that they've said mm-hmm. and they've saved them and then we do um you know I, I believe strongly in kind of markers of memory so like a kind of a, an altar of remembrance in some way and it could just be a small stone from a hike we've taken or a shell from the beach that we've snorkeled at. And, uh, and we gather those and then they either take them with them to school or they keep them here at home, uh, in like a jar or a box. Mm -hmm. And so they can have these tangible reminders of things that will take them back to that memory we shared together, that moment or that Mm -hmm. important conversation. Um, and so I keep notes, you know, I have for each kid, I have a jar and in the jar, there are little notes of things that they've done or um, important milestones in their faith or at school, and I'll keep all those. And then they'll they'll read them. And so we just have ways of marking moments. Mm, I like that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we used to call my grandparents both at, um, every Sunday growing up, and I feel like with social media and being online and like just. You know, we, we would call on Sundays because that was the cheapest day of the week to call long distance. And now, like, we, we've taken off all the parameters, right? Like, I can call any time of day I want, whenever I want. It costs the same, no matter where they live. So, yeah. we've, we've somehow, like, forgotten to do that. And I've been saying to my husband, what's something we should not, you know, wouldn't be bring back for us, but bring back from something from my childhood, which we did because, you know, my parents and his parents aren't that far away. But I bet you they'd really love a phone call on a regular basis. So, again, going back to that intention, how are we consistently staying connected to the ones we love mm-hmm. when they're not around?
2: <clears throat> yeah, and now there's some really useful tools, even like books that grandparents can read with their recorded voices. Oh, and yeah. And then the, the kids will just turn the page, and that's grandpa in yeah. Africa reading to them. Yeah. Or you know, my parents used to send us actually DVDs of yeah. themselves reading the book, and then they send it with someone who was visiting. It would take Several months, and we would get it. Yeah, um, but oh, that's so creative. You can do those books, or yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, that's such a great idea. So now you've written extensively about third culture kids. So can you explain to us exactly what they are?
2: Sure. So a third culture kid is a kid who has grown out, grown up outside their passport country. That's the most basic term for it. So they could be an immigrant, a refugee, a diplomat, um, a missionary, a military kid, anyone who's spent a portion of their growing up years outside their passport country. Uh, so I would not be a third culture kid because mm-hmm. I didn't move abroad till I was 23. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, all my kids are. And so kids like that, they uh, there's kind of some general things they share in common. Of course, all kids are different, but. Some research and estimates have said that third culture kids experience more sort of life experiences in terms of big events, like, like evacuations, like what we had, or um, different kinds of traumas that involve you know, natural disasters or diseases than many Americans would face over the course of their lifetime. TCKs, third culture kids can experience those by the time they're 18. Hmm. so they just have a lot of life kind of packed into a small amount of time um, both hard things and really good things like you know they've they've seen the world they have a lot of really fascinating experiences and then also a lot of losses as as people come and go so third culture kids go through a lot of transition hmm. um, our kids have been kind of the stayers where we've been here for so long they've They've welcomed a lot of new kids and they've said goodbye to a lot of kids, friends. Um, and they've done really incredible things like the, another one of our Christmas traditions besides wrestling is swimming with whale sharks every Christmas. These mm-hmm. massive fish come through Djibouti and so we just jump in the water and you're right there with this shark. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have those things to celebrate and then also the loss of not celebrating Christmas with, you know, grandparents or cousins, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah, they, they have a lot of transition. They experience a lot of different cultures. Um, that's a sort of a broad view of a TCK.
1: Yeah. So how can we support our friends and neighbors? Because I know like even in my community, it's becoming <clears throat> increasingly diverse, which is amazing. But I think we oftentimes take for granted um, what their experience is like and what we can do to help
2: them. Yeah, I really think that is a great question. And it shows a lot of Empathy and just awareness that that people do have these different experiences. Um, So I think one thing that is, it might seem obvious, but I don't think it is. It's just to be curious and to ask questions that go beyond uh, what kind of food do you eat there or (laughs) what kind of clothes do you wear there, um, which are pretty basic. But but questions that are about personal things like, uh, you know, if you do have an immigrant or a newly arrived refugee family, Asking questions about their friends that they've left behind, mm-hmm. or about their favorite teacher they've had at school, or about a pet maybe they had to leave behind, which I think just really acknowledges that these these newly arrived people or foreigners have experienced a life before they came. Mm-hmm. And maybe they left it for a good reason, maybe they came for work or a job or a marriage, but maybe they had to flee and they've really lost something significant and um I think it's so valuable to acknowledge that in someone's life and then of course we can connect like you've had favorite teachers or you've had you know a favorite pet and so it's a way to not just um, kind of pry into their life but also to connect and to share your own and just to recognize that um, you know we might be different in our cultural backgrounds or our religious backgrounds but we have some very similar human experiences and I think that's just a way of honoring mm-hmm. the the unique individuals that they are. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, you're right. I think we forget to do that. I mean, I certainly want to hear about the food though, too.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, And maybe you can even taste some of it. That would be amazing. Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) All right. Well, thank you so much for being with us today. This was such a pleasure.
2: Sure. Thanks for having me.
1: You can find Rachel at www.jiboutijones.com. She's on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter as Rachel Pie Jones. We'll link to all of this in the show notes.
0: If you've been enjoying the show, we'd like to ask you for a favor. Would you be willing to leave a short review in iTunes?
1: We're passionate about helping families thrive and reviews help families find us. We really appreciate your support.
0: Remember, family culture is not about perfect. It's about purpose. To learn more about the Family Culture Project, go to thefamilycultureproject.com.